0: Just as in Biara in Agoni, one day Willie Corduff's son saw a group of people coming towards the fields of his father. And with mobile phones, they can alert people very quickly. And five people gathered in Willie Corduff's field and just said no to the shell contractor that was there. Whether you have, and this is again where the government has done something extraordinary for the first time, it granted compulsory acquisition orders to a private company. So they walked into the field to begin their survey work and the people stood there and refused to move. And they were eventually arrested and brought to the High Court in Dublin over months that took. I don't think anybody will ever forget the emotion of that day. And I was in the court that day. i have been in court many times when it was declared they had to go for an indefinite period to court until the purge the contempt the journey from that area to dublin is horrendous in itself so that day they weren't going back and the wives were there i think journalists and everybody just broke down because they were ringing home to say he's not coming back with us it was shocking and then they were taken out and you know me hollow shine is maybe late 60s at the time, Willie Corduff, Philbin, Vincent McGrath and his brother, Philip McGrath. So they're put into the Black Mariah and off they went to Mount Joy and eventually to Clover Hill. And they had to stay there until they purged the contempt and they just stated they were not purging their contempt. And they were very well liked in the prison by the prisoners. They were kind of... And they spoke very well to of the prisoners anytime they had a chance so there was nothing ugly in that relationship and then the relatives had to make that journey every week to see 94 days is three months and a bit quite a long time the only reason the injunction we were all told you know when you're ignorant of the law all told an injunction couldn't be lifted it was doing shell so much reputational damage that shell applied to have the injunction lifted so it was all for nothing in any event, the pipeline was proved to be wrong in that place. So, in fact, those five people went to jail for their right, and the right was eventually recognised. And there's no compensation to them for that to happen. And I mean, there should be huge compensation from the state for allowing that to happen. We'd have gone up to Clover Hill, I went to Clover Hill, said the rosary outside the prison once. And then on another occasion went in with the relatives to visit them inside and they're just brilliant people you know they were able they were mature they were able to take it and owns we came during the week they were released and he was there with us on the day they were released and he marched with them down the street and he was on the podium and spoke so that was a great link between Eris and Ogoni. Yes, I was watching the Rossport, put into prison, visited them prison and was there the day that they came out of prison. Maura herself went to prison a number of times and she too spent a month in prison. And again, is to be respected in that she never mentions a word about the prison. Everything is sacred in relation to the people she would have met there. And some of them would have large crimes sitting on their heads and in the UPEN Rapporteur thing there is a thing about stigmatization I think it was an awful humiliation for her when the judge sent her to be psychiatrically examined and she had to see a psychiatrist at the wish as she went into prison on the other hand once you serve your prison sentence you get rid of all your fines she was in well, I'd say two or three times but the month I think was the longest and her husband sat outside the prison with a placard every single day of those 31 days. Uh, and that you would notice up in Eris, couples are activists. They're nearly all in couples, which is extraordinary for me. There's a lot of relationships too, because it's a closed in enough community. So there's a lot of marriages across families. So that would help the unity a bit as well. Then the other person, Niall Hartnett, was person from Rossport solidarity camp and he spent six months in prison as well so oh yeah Pat O'Donnell then uh, he Niall was in fact they were both there the day I went to Castlereagh and Pat O'Donnell was in I think nearly three months maybe five months I think and he's a, had an awful story altogether from attempted murder one would think from the sinking of his boat and, of course, the lie is given to that and the guardie will not investigate it. They look down and the boat is lying at the bottom. They ascertain the boat is there. But they never followed that up. Like, it's extraordinary that they didn't follow that up. Either accuse him of sinking his own boat or accusing other people of sinking. He made a kind of a minor remark to a guard, and he got five months for it. Some, One has to be so careful looking at it because big... Apparent abuse between the judiciary and the guardie, you know. When the table observers analysed the court cases, we began to look at what we would say was a little strategy to catch people. And if you sit on the road, you're causing an obstruction. So that's Public Order Act 9. If the guard tells you, get up off that road, and you refuse to get up, that's Public Order Act number 8. One of them has a fine of 200 euro and the other has a sentence of three months to six months. And of course, when these protesters are brought before the court, they get either and both of those. And a suspended sentence means that you are liable to serve the prison sentence if you sit on the road again. So I think it's a very subtle way of undermining the right to protest. So the table campaigners now to which I belong, we are very strong on that one, that the law has been managed in a very benign way, but to make sure that the strong protesters are removed from the road. And there is always the problem. I was looking at one set and there were 19 before the judge on that day on 83 charges. There was another day when there were 27 before the court and the guards made a mistake and 23 of them had to be withdrawn because the guard work wasn't good. If I had time to know what is the final number of charges that have been imposed on the community for the right to protest it would be enormous and the state is putting everybody to that expense as well and then they had what they call special sittings for Shell to see which I think It's also very dangerous because why would you have a special city? You know, this is district court level. And then we came across this other huge anomaly that district court hearings are not recorded. So there's no way of checking out because these are all prosecution cases using the Garda as the witness for the prosecution. So it's always a Garda versus a protester. If you have no record of what was said... I think this is a general big problem in Irish law now when I look at it, because there's no way that we as observers can go back and check. We discovered that Maura Harrington had got one guy's cases on transcript by hiring a private legal stenographer and getting that approved by the judge and it cost a thousand euro for a few hours. It's just unbelievable. And the transcript is wonderful because in the transcript of those cases that I read, we were trying to get the people to talk about reasonable excuse that I sat down, I protested because I believe of a reasonable excuse in that I'm safeguarding the health and well-being of this community. And the guardie would kind of look up to the ceiling and say, I can't comment on that. They would not engage, neither would the judge, with reasonable excuse. It was used in Mary Kelly's case in Shannon, you see. So they just won't entertain that. For young protesters, they kind of have to learn to measure conviction and their future. They have solicitors and that. And the solicitor, I discovered, his only role there is to make a great plea for mitigation. There's no question nearly of getting off any case because it's so easy. You know, get up. I don't get up you know, and not only get up, there's two cases in that, that you're sitting as the obstruction, you don't obey the end. So there's nothing to argue about that. No solicitor's going to get into that very deeply, but he'll try to, try reasonable excuse, try you're very young, try doing very well academically in college, try a whole lot of things to mitigate the sentence. So in 2008, The protesters were still being beaten very badly by the police and I said there's something really wrong with this. So I'm back to my notion of observing again. So this time I and very difficult to find out who'd make a good observer because there were people in the Rossport Solidarity Camp, young activists not from the area, who were very committed to direct non-action and they were very able to take whatever punishment came their way. So they were a fourth group and they all worked well together on the Aarhus side, the Rossport Solidarity Camp and the people of Aarhus, because in fact the Solidarity Camp moved. Once the pipeline pathway moved from Rossport, everything turned over now to Aarhus. It became the locus of the next bit of activity. I found two others and we called ourselves the Table Observers back 2000. On the Gavahi Road I saw the very same need that you had two groups struggling with each other, but no third entity, like the state just kept away, everybody kept, Shell kept away, like let the two fighters at it. And there's no third presence and no third witness to that. I remember we started a small group on the Gavahi Road and by the time I was leaving there Five years later, and the issue had been resolved, there were eight, 81 observers on the road some of the years that I was there. They came from everywhere and was a great presence. There was such a good support for the people. I had gone through it before and did it quite successfully before. To find people was difficult. So Kilcommon Lodge, where Betty Schultz and her family have lived for 25 years, great centre, people come to stay there. So I found myself standing in the middle of the common room and saying, anybody want to be an observer? It was as simple as that, you know, you just said it out loud to the air and there was a couple there from Sligo, John and Evelyn, and said, you know, we'd be interested in something like that. They didn't really want to get into Shell to see, they were very concerned about the situation, so this provided, Donal from Donegal had already been working with me. I met him in the hostel as well. So the four of us made the table observers, We sat down and trained ourselves according to UN guidelines for monitoring and observing because it's a legitimate activity and little by little we carried out maybe once every two or three months an observation. We go there with our jackets on and be around the place and then write down what we saw and eventually that became formalized enough to forward to the government and to various places. I think maybe that's what we still continue to do today if you like. So from that awful night in 2006 somehow there was engagement with the brutality. One of the things that the table did quite successfully was go to the courts because dozens of these people even at this moment in time are being prosecuted. And we have kind of done a lot of work on policing and a lot of work on the right to protest. It's a legitimate right, according to several UN instruments. They haven't a clue about it, of course. Though it is ironic that in Belmullet Garda Station, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights is on a frame. In, on the wall and I pointed it out to the guard one day and I said yeah you're out to protect your bit and I'm out to protect mine and I pointed at the and he said oh I know all about it like I, I'm not, I don't express any hostility to anybody so um, I would have accompanied fellows who might have been arrested right into the station just to let them know that there are other people watching that would be the whole idea of it yeah we observed a number of court cases and we were left with huge issues from those huge issues from policing and huge issues from private security company surveillance in the community there are three huge issues that we have tried to follow up in our most kind of amateurish way now i had asked afri because it had to kind of been involved in the table campaign initially, but then more or less we as observers went out on our own. And they did see the sense in observing and they made a great contribution and that they contacted Amnesty International, which of course had not worked on any issue in Ireland. From that, then we were directed, or AFRI was directed to Frontline, which has to do with human rights defenders. And Frontline sent a a barrister up there who spent nearly six months up there, and he did a report, which is really now a benchmark report, on the human rights situation in Eris. Then they hired another lady, an Australian, who had human rights experience, and they placed her up there for six months as well. So I would say that our initiative in 2006, even more as an initiative with the cardboard and the string, started off, I'd say for the first time in Ireland, a kind of the notion of human rights observers. And now like it's it's in the newspaper, it's not unknown for the newspaper to say there were human rights observers present. Now that wouldn't have been in the literature before. So we're all engaged otherwise, but we still have meetings here every two or three months. We have tackled the data, what do you call them, the data commissioner about the use of video footage by the surveillance people. We have tackled the whatever ministry is involved with these private security companies, are they allowed to video people like this, where is the footage, who controls the footage, etc. So. What it has done, it has kind of confronted a lot of other little issues in the body politic and drawn attention. We have also three reports. And also back along, I would have introduced Shell to see to several international groups, like the Goldman Award came to Willie Cardoff through one of those contacts. Maura is particularly good at following up those kind of things. The Sierra Club... In the United States at somebody over here. Community monitors had a big group of people who held a hearing up there as well. So we've had a lot of international, they were able to call, but I had nothing to do with that, an independent pipeline expert to come in and give his view. So it has been approached from several angles, costing millions of euro to everybody. Nobody funds. I had a great problem with a priest from an NGO who kept saying to me, but where did they get the money? He could not believe that every one of us uses the money of our own pocket. There's no such thing. If I want to go to a meeting, I pay for my meeting, I buy my meal. The same in Eris. There's a little fund for Chelsea to pay for the website. They have an excellent website and that came out of a meeting in Galway where a young man who had been attending a seminar said you know I think I can set up a website and the website was set up about seven years ago it's just very nice to think he represents young people on the press president's council at the minute so he has gone on he found it spun out for um, teens with problems he's Rory McKiernan so I think he'll never know how much he did he's like Dokun in Nigeria he'll never know how much he did by sharing his website space with Chelsea mm-hmm. And it has really kept a very detailed record. You're here this week. Last Saturday, the table observers were here for four hours working on all these issues. At the end of that meeting, we realised that the UN Special Rapporteur on Human Rights Defenders is coming to Ireland the week after next. So could we ever animate Shell to see to get a submission in? Could we ourselves try a submission? And now we've extended it to Love Leitrim, could they ever make a little. It's just so contrary to all our Irish experience. When we did our reports we took, three of us went to Dublin and we went to seven agencies one day, Department of Justice, several places like that. We had seven agencies to give our number two report to on the court cases and we rang them a couple of weeks in advance and said we'd very much like to hand it to an official rather than to leave it at the reception desk. So we'd be grateful if you would meet us. And the only one out of the seven was the Irish Commission for Human Rights. It's just unbelievable. Pretending that he was on the phone inside, he had gone out. We went back two or three times. Even the Garda Commissioner's office was so accommodating besides us. The Attorney General's office, it seems we shouldn't have gone near it, but at least the security man knew we were coming. And he accepted it and explained that usually groups don't come to the Attorney-General's office with a complaint. But I think I was very, very disappointed with the Irish Human Rights Commission. And indeed, since that time, there have been people who have resigned from it, very dissatisfied. Our experience, sincere or not, at least the Garda Commissioner's ombudsman knew how to receive people and take reports and you will learn that they suggested themselves doing an investigation of policing. And the government of the day refused to give them permission, which I think was terrible. So that has been done twice. We have had three reports and each time we go round. So we are quite sure that everybody in government, everybody in the judiciary knows the situation. But no comeback, no effort whatsoever to resolve that. There were efforts to have meetings from government with the people up there, but the people felt they were being framed. So they, I wouldn't have been there, but they would have upset meetings and they would have stood in meetings and they would have made it awkward for meetings. And then there were other times when they went up to the government and said all they had to say and still no come back. So about three weeks ago, maybe less, a note came through contact form of the Shell to See website and we don't know who the good person was who just said special rapporteur is coming to Ireland it may be helpful for Shell to See to get in touch so whoever was the good person who did that the name doesn't mean anything to us it's an Irish name we don't know was there somebody in the office who just did it out of sympathy I got a copy of it it was circulated to all of us the table observers everybody I wouldn't know how many people took it up. I contacted Shell to see and I bamboozled them as the only word. I said, you can do it. You can do it. Because last year we made a submission to the Universal Periodic Review and Human Rights and Shell to see did a good one and Table did a good one as well. And we were on record. But in Ireland, there is no attention given to environmental rights at all. There's no attention given to the right to health other than... You have to be sick first before any legislation covers you. Very little on preventive health. So I read the material on who is a human rights defender. I sent up the material to Eris. I said, at best, you've done your UPR submission, adapt it to the submission you want to make. First contact is very difficult to get an email address. So I just am so proud of them. Maura Harrington rang Geneva. And she said, how do I get to this office? Bing, 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 bing. And she discovered that you actually send in everything to a thing called registry at attention of, and then it's forwarded. And within two days, she had a reply back, interested in Shell to see, meeting the special rapporteur, giving them a full hour for themselves, telling them over the following communication. They could have as many in their delegation as they wanted. So this for me is one other avenue, but it's so sad it's outside our government that we have to go outside again for attention to the rights of the community. The table observers ourselves, we would not be selfish about this. We feel it's the community that has the issue that must get priority at all times. But we decided here on Saturday that we would try ourselves. So we sent in a request with our three reports yesterday and this reply back today that we are very welcome to attend with other environmental groups. Ours mightn't be a separate meeting, but it was just the attitude of response, of welcome from the Human Rights Office. It was in such contrast to our reception in our own country. When is this event? The 21st of November. So now I'm this evening on Love Leitrim trying to get them to attend as well because they're only at the beginning of the story and I don't see that their outcome is going to be any easier. They themselves made their way to the doll last week while I was there with another group in Leitrim. I'm hoping they'll get to this as well. What I'm hoping for this, in the letter she said 9.30 to 10.30 or 9 to 10.30, people concerned with environmental issues will meet with the Rapporteur and I think we're in that group and for me that's just great because it means that environmental rights might get some mention. When we were preparing for the Universal Periodic Review, true the government had a good website up and it was held well and they had their meetings in seven venues They were supposed to two or three weeks beforehand And when we isolated where these meetings were held, two were held in Dublin in very ordinary places, which is great for the people. The other three were all held in third level institutions, none in Mayo and nobody ever went near Eris. And that would be very much criticised by the human rights community, that you knew you had a problem in Ireland. We attended the meeting to prepare the UPR and that we felt these seven meetings were just held and they would only have maybe between 30 and 60 people present. So it's a new opportunity whether it gets us any further or not but at least the table observers now would be advising how to explain yourself in human rights terminology to agencies at the UN.